How are we doing, 11 o'clock? Man, all right. You doing good, really? Is it nice out? Is it? I can't wait to experience a little bit of that myself. It was such a beautiful day yesterday. Oh my goodness, I hope you got a chance to get out yesterday. It was so nice. Um, <clears throat> hey, we've been in the book of, of Revelation for the last couple months, and today, although I, I'm not going to actually do the next chapter, um, we're going to stay with the theme of Revelation. And um, Man, I have to tell you, in my 25 plus years of ministry, I have never been under the leadership of a, of a lead pastor who taught the entire book of Revelation, and I, man, I'm enjoying it. I studied it myself probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, but this is so good to go through it uh, in community. But there was a question Corey asked a, a few weeks ago at the end of of uh, the sixth chapter of Revelation, it was, who can stand? He asked this question. And then he, of course, answered it with the assertion that we can stand as followers of Jesus Christ. We can stand um, as, as his followers. And, and I thought that question was so good. Uh, we actually talked about it in some of our meetings. And I just want to dive into that question a little bit more because I think that it's important that we not know that we just can stand, but how we stand. Right? Are you with me? Um, how we stand. Because I think most of us think that we stand uh, because we're good people or we're on our own merits or, you know, we have to pray harder, we have to do more, or we have to go to church more, do all these things. And while all of those are, are good things, um, that's not what makes us a Christian. Now, hear me, I'm not advocating somebody beginning a life with, uh, a, to be a follower of Jesus Christ and then to live whatever you, you want to live. That's, I'm not advocating that at all. Um, in fact, I would argue that that person probably isn't a follower in the first place if, if Jesus Christ doesn't change your life. But this is a, so this weekend, this is a very simple message, but it's very challenging. And listen, right off the bat, hear me. I want you to know that God loves you. And he's constantly in pursuit of a relationship with you. You have to know before I start, because what I'm gonna say today is very challenging. In the beginning, I present the arguments. And they're gonna be familiar to you. So I want you to know right off the bat that God loves you and he's pursuing a genuine love relationship with you right now. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive into this. Are you with me, you okay? Are you? <laughs> well, you 20, I'm glad you're here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you um, for the chance just to be together and to worship together. And when the body of Christ comes together and worships like that in song, Lord, there's just something amazing, something that you do for us in community that you don't do uh, necessarily all the time when we're alone. We just come arm in arm before the throne of God, and we just thank you for that, that, that binds us together. Lord, I ask that you would be with, with every church in this city today. In fact, every church across the nation that would exalt the name of Jesus Christ. Be with them, O oh God. Anoint them, I pray. Be with our nonprofits and the homeless as uh, uh, now it's getting cold outside, and it's um, sometimes raining and stuff, and I, I just pray that you be with them. Keep them safe, Lord. Bless our time together, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable, O oh God, in your sight, I pray, Jesus. In your matchless name, amen. So we're in Ephesians 2 today. If, um, if you have your Bibles with you, that's in the New Testament, Ephesians 2. 
Um, if you don't have your Bibles, you can, you can download our church app. It's a really cool app. It has most of what I'm going to say on there. Um, and it'll also have the scriptures that I'm reading. If you don't have the app or don't want to download the app, it's free, by the way, you should, uh, or you don't have your Bibles, I guess you're just going to have to listen because um, I'm going to read it, and if you listen, you'll hear it. So Ephesians 2, all right, here we go. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So a little bit about Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus here. That's why it's called Ephesians, right? And these are the Christians in Rome. And this, this capital city uh, uh, in, in this Roman province of, of Asia is, is a very large city. It's a big city. city. It has bustling activity and lots of travelers and a whole lot of commerce there. And it's a particularly pagan city, actually. And what Paul is writing, why he's writing to them is because they begin to become affected by this paganism, and they are not realizing any longer their position in Christ, right? And later in the chapter, Paul talks about the consequences of this spiritual death, but for now, he just establishes it as fact. Now, obviously, Paul is not talking about physical death here. His meaning in being spiritually dead is separation from God. And when we are spiritually dead, we are separated from God. And friends, we are all guilty. He points out before they followed Jesus, they were dead because they lived in sin. They followed their own values, he says. The ways of the world according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. That's earth, right? That's earth. And Paul includes himself and all of us, all others, in there because we all lived the way we wanted to at one time. We all did the things that we wanted to do. The verse that's really interesting to me in here is verse 2 because it says, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And why I find that interesting is because he's pointing out something very harsh. Because I think it's crazy, and I know there are some, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there are very many who would actually say they follow the value system of Satan. That's a little scary, but that's exactly what Paul is pointing out here. He says you're actually following a value system that is created by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And living in disobedience to Christ. And, and because we're living that way, we have a completely different set of values, right? And one that Paul points out is, is ungodly. These are ungodly values, attributes, and actions. 
And because we live this way, because they were living this way before Christ, they were objects of God's wrath. And as we look at the book of Revelation, we go through this, we're learning a lot of what that looks like. And that's kind of scary. In fact, we've seen God's wrath even in the Old Testament. We've seen what happens when God pours out his wrath. And we've seen uh, the Egyptians um, go after uh, the Israelites, when they set them free, you can read it in the book of Exodus, that you know, the, the entire uh, army, the soldiers were drowned in the Red Sea. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah when God pours out his wrath because they're disobedient. Sometimes it's just a person or a family. Next week we'll be in Revelation 9 and, and we're going to see how God is pouring out his wrath all over again. But God's wrath is, is pointed out in, in the word a lot and it comes on us in two ways. At times we receive the natural cause and effect of violating God's principles. And that's exactly what we see here. And we see that through all, all throughout the Bible. We're actually seeing it now in the time in which we live as well. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. We're going we're gonna to reap what we sow. And we are reaping what we are sowing. I mean, look where we've ended up just with sexual immorality and, and promiscuity. I mean, we have more sexually transmitted diseases now than ever before, and AIDS is, is, uh, still remains one of the world's most significant public health challenges. I mean, we're reaping what we've sown for years. And the second way God's wrath comes at us, or comes on us, is that judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as an appointed for people to die, after this, judgment. Man, Paul is painting a pretty bleak picture here. For non-Christians. And again, he's writing this to Christians because of what they once were. But against this backdrop of like hopelessness, Paul gives us some really great news that God's mercy restrains his wrath. And again, next week in Revelation 9, we're about to see the wrath of God poured out on those who will not repent. They just will not repent. They're still worshiping idols of steel, bronze, wood, demonic idols. They just will not repent, so they bring God's wrath on themselves. And, and Paul is trying to point out that, that the mercy of God flows out of his great love for us, and that this love, while we deserve death, through his love, he's offering us life, but only because he's merciful. Let's read it again. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we are dead in our trespasses. You're saved by grace. And then he goes down toward the end of what we read and said, you're, you're saved by grace through faith. That's not of yourselves. It is God's gift. So we realize right away that you and I can't stand before God on what we've done or, or, or simply because, you know, we're awesome. We just can't do that. The text doesn't give room for that. So those who tell me, oh, I've been a Christian my whole life, I don't, I don't think they understand exactly what they're saying because Paul says here that once we lived according to our own inclinations, that, that our own desires were evil. I mean, I guess I know what they mean, right? Maybe they accepted Christ as a, as a child or at a young age, but Paul is saying we were spiritually dead in our sin and, and living according to our own evil desires and inclinations. And friends, that's all of us. That's all of us. See, there are virtually three arguments. 
these three arguments, and I'm going to go through each one. The first one is, I can stand on my own. I can do this on my own, man. I can stand in God's presence because, you know what? I'm a good person. And I think for most people, being a good person just means, you know, you're not a bad person. You know, I, I don't curse. I don't steal. Uh, I'm not a murderer. I don't cheat. I don't gamble. I don't, I don't kick the dog when I come home for work. I don't beat my wife and kids, you know. Um, I'm just like everyone else, and hey, surely everyone else like me isn't going to hell, so I'm good. I'm good. Well, that's just not truth. I mean, that might sound okay, but it's not truth because sin separates us from God. And sin is not insignificant, and I think we kind of have a problem in the church today because we look at sin, sometimes we just gloss over it. Like, it's not that big a deal. Well, sin is a very, very big deal. Sin was why Jesus Christ went to the cross, and, and God can't look upon sin. Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So the problem with this argument is that sin isn't just something we do. It's actually who we are. We have this sinful nature. Sin, uh, it, the Greek word for sin is hamartia, which is actually an archery term, and it simply means to miss the mark, right? To miss the target, the, the bullseye of God's holiness. And Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Well, how many is all? Well, all means all. That means everybody. That we've all missed it. So it's not just what we do. Sometimes, see, we have these sins of commission. We, ha we commit these sins. But we also, I think, as Christians, sometimes we have sins of omission. Like the things that we probably should have done, that we know we should have done, God told us to do, but we haven't done those. We've just omitted it. Let me explain. Have, have you always, 100% of the time, done exactly what God's asked you to do, exactly when he's asked you to do it, exactly how he asked you to do it? You know, have I always, let's make this personal, have I always been the father 100% of the time that I'm supposed to be? Have you moms always been the best mom 100% of the time? Students, children, have we always been 100% of the time? We've never lied, never cheated, never. See, when we realize what sin really is, we see that it's not some, some theologic, theological invention that, our, it's our sinful nature that causes us to miss this mark, this, this bullseye of God's holiness. And that sinful nature has, has to be destroyed. So I realize, uh, I guess I'm, I'm not a good person on my own. Because on my own, I desire what's contrary to the will of God. And I know that it's probably painful for some of us to hear this morning because you've probably, you might have thought that way your entire life. You might have been taught that. Well, you just, need to, you just need to be a good person. You just need to be good. But that argument doesn't work because I realize the Scripture tells me that I am not a good person. The second argument is much like the first one. I'm a good person because I do good things. Hey, man, you know, I can, I can do this on my own because of all the good I do. I mean, I feed the poor. I, you know, I, I, I work in the church. Um, you know, hey, I'm on the hospitality team or, you know, whatever I do. I give to nonprofits. I'm a good worker. I'm a good father. I'm a good mother. I'm a good husband. Whatever it is, you know, all the good things I do, surely all the good things I do far outweigh the bad. And the truth is you're better than most people, you know. In fact, so there's no way that God would send you to hell after all the good you've done. Well, put your holiness 
up against the holiness of Jesus Christ, who was sinless. See, Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. So it was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that made us free. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that made us whole and pure and clean. He was the perfect sacrifice. So we can't, we can't give enough. I mean, we can't do enough. We can't be good enough. Listen, tell me, like, when you think you've finally, how much is good enough? Tell me when you think you've finally arrived that, like, you're good to go, and I'm going to ask you instantly, well, what's your measuring device? Who are you measuring yourself against? Because, you know, if you measure yourself against me, maybe you are better than I am. Maybe you do more good things than I do. But when you and I measure ourselves against Jesus Christ and his perfect sinless holiness, that kind of pales in comparison. Well, but you don't understand, Greg. I'm going to do good my whole life. Man, guys, to reduce our relationship with Jesus Christ to a list of good works is insanity. I mean, I th- to do that is to say that the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ was unnecessary. Like, like that God sent his son for you and me to die on a cross, and he didn't need to do that. So the implication is that God is stupid. Do you see that? Like, if we think that we can just work our way into salvation that we could just do all the right things or we could just be a good enough person that Jesus came and was crucified on a cross for you and me? He loved us that much that he gave his life and, and we could have done it on our own? Man, I gotta tell you, if there was another way, God would know. He would have found it. We can't stand on our own merits. We are not good enough and we cannot do enough good. The third argument is that love wins out, right? Love wins out. Hey, God, God's such a loving God. You know, he loves me. That is true. That is absolutely true. Well, you know, love, he's just turning a blind eye to sin. That is not true. God loves me. You know, he's not gonna send a good person to hell. I mean, God's, God's love, you know, is so pure and so holy. You know, eventually everybody's gonna make it, right? This universalist, um, attitude or, or this universalism that's so prevalent in society today. You know, we're all walking this, the same mountain. We may take different directions to get up there, but we're all going to the same place. God is so loving and so kind, and because he's loving and kind, he's not going to send anybody to hell. And you know, I actually believe a part of that statement. I, I'm not sure God is actually going to send anybody to hell so much as they're going to choose it. You see, the difference is I can choose a relationship with Jesus Christ or I can choose to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God's love isn't the issue here. We establish that right off the bat. God loves you. He is for you. He is in pursuit of you. A love relationship. He is a loving God, but he is also just, and he's not going to take away your choice. So these arguments just don't work. Of course God loves you. Of course he loves me. But he's also just. What works is a relationship with Jesus Christ, not earned, received by faith. And after Paul sets up this extremely bleak picture, have I done a sufficient job 
recording, like what Paul has recorded here, explaining this is an extremely bleak picture. He reminds us as Christians, as followers of Christ, that God in his great mercy has given us three things. So good news is coming. Good news is coming. So let's read it again. But God, who is rich in mercy, hold on a second here. There are two words that I think we just gloss over all the time. And I know in my own life, they mean a whole lot. But God. Man, I got to tell you. See, I think that, like, the fear for me is that most of you think I have a perfect life. Well, it's Pastor Greg. You know, he's, he's been a, a pastor at different churches for 25 plus years, you know. And look at him. He's, he's a perfect specimen of fitness, you know. Um, he has a great wife, you know. And actually, I do have a great wife. He has, he has great kids. And, and, you know, you're seeing my perfect Facebook life, you know, the things that we put out there and, and the things on Instagram. And you just think everything is just great for Greg. And that's the side that you see. But what you don't know is that my life was a mess at one time. My life used to be a mess. Guys, in the latter year of my sophomore year of high school, I started drinking. and drank all the way through high school. I, I, I drank a lot. My senior year, I got arrested. My freshman year of college was almost a complete disaster. And I've driven drunk more times than I care to admit. But God. See, those words, those words, but God means a lot to me. Because if God didn't step in, I, I shudder to... I don't know where I would be, but God stepped in and he gave my life meaning. But God stepped in and he gave me a purpose and he gave me a mission. But God stepped in and he did give me a great wife and he did give me great kids who are all loving Jesus and following him. He did give me great grandkids. Trust me, I could bore you to tears with pictures of them. He's given me, he's given me so much more than I deserve. So, but God means a whole lot to me. I wonder if there might be anybody in here that would realize, but God has made a difference in their life. So let's read it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages he might display what? The immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then at the end of what we read earlier, for you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is God's gift. Friends, he has made us as followers of Jesus alive in Christ. That's good news this morning. That's great news. Our sin caused us to be spiritually dead, separated from God. But the resurrected Christ overcame sin and the death, so you and I now fellowship and share in that resurrection. So we're no longer alienated from God as followers of Christ. We've been made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. We didn't earn it. We already settled that, right, 10 minutes ago. 
We deserve death, but by God's grace, he's given us life. And grace carries this idea of benevolence being bestowed on someone who has no reason at all to have earned it. None. God wasn't required to offer us salvation. In fact, he would have been justified to condemn us all. He didn't have to, but because he loved us and he loves us still, he wants to. That's grace. (laughs) No part of this came from our own initiative. No part can be credited to us at all. It all came from God. The whole of salvation, as well as the faith, both are gifts from God. We just read it. We're saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's God's gift. And this thread of grace, listen, it runs through this whole book. I don't like it when I hear people say, oh, there's not a lot of grace in the Old Testament. There is grace in the Old Testament. And the prophet Ezekiel said in 36, makes a huge contribution to the understanding of being born again. And I, let's get real churchy here for a minute, right? We can, to make it initial sanctification or being regenerated. Wow, that's a big word. Or being born again or be saved. Listen, I don't care what you call it. But Paul's reference to here, what, what Ezekiel says, and I don't, listen, I don't want to cause confusion there, but this is what God has done for you and me when he awakens us to his spirit. So again, I don't care what you call it, but Ezekiel writes that he will take out our heart of stone and replace it with a fleshy heart and then move us to follow his decrees and laws. That sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. I love what Corey said a few weeks ago when he said, God has taken this gift of salvation and he's put it in a box and he's wrapped a bow on it. And you and I, all we have to do is to accept that gift. We're not talking about a new paint job here or or even a makeover. We're talking about a new person. The old is gone. The new is, this is transformation, man. God put a new heart in us. We're made new. The old has gone. He's made followers of Jesus alive in Christ. Second thing he's done is raised us up with Christ. This is so good. We've been raised from the death of sin and given new life. Yeah, yeah, okay. We still face life here on earth, and I get that, where Satan reigns, right? The kingdom of the air. We just read that. But we, as followers of Jesus, live with Christ. We walk with him. We're no longer walking in the ways we used to, right? Our own evil inclination, those own evil, our own evil desires, because we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. And Paul says, I don't set aside the grace of God. If righteousness could have been gained through the law, right, through those list of do's, you know, I do this, do this, or I just have to be good. If righteousness could have been gained for that, through that, then Christ died for nothing. No, I've been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why at the experience here, when we, do, when we do baptisms over here on the side, we fill up this nice pool of water. Okay, it's not a pool. It's not nice. It's actually a trough. We, we fill up this trough of water over here, and, and we actually bury people, and we, we dunk them. They go under the water. And it's symbolic, guys, of this dead to self. It's symbolic of dead to sin. I'm no longer living the way I used to and raising to new life, Right? That's the symbolism of being dead to self and dead to sin and alive in Christ. So we don't live like we used to. First Peter says, we're a royal priesthood. 
chosen generation, that we are God's special possession. Isn't that good? That, that we are God's special possession, that, that we, as followers of Christ, might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into, into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we had not been given mercy, now we have received mercy. We don't live like we used to live. We live differently. Look, I don't mind people. I see them all the time. You see them. Maybe you have them. I'm going to apologize in advance. I don't mind people having bumper stickers on their car, right? I don't mind that. You know, we have them available. Christ follower. I mean, if you're putting one of those on your car and you're driving crazy, take it off your car. But... You know, there's another one, God is my co-pilot. If God's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. But I don't, I don't understand, like, it's okay. And people wear t-shirts, right? People wear Christian t-shirts. That's fine too. But if people can't tell that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, ain't no bumper sticker gonna convince them. It's not gonna happen. They've gotta be able to tell by my actions and who I am. And many of you, many of us still struggle, Christians today, we still struggle with the same things we've always struggled with. He's made us alive in Christ, and he has seated us in the heavenly realms. He's raised us up. But Greg, you don't understand. I just can't do it. Man, I try, I try, and I wake up every day, and I try, and I try harder, and I do more, right? That's, listen, good news for you. He's given us the Holy Spirit. This is good news today. Friends, he has given us the Holy Spirit. There are so many references in the New Testament to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't give them all. I'm going to rattle off just a few of them right now. So the first one I want to tell you is in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Whoa, sanctified. Whoop, whoa, hold on, churchy word. It just means set apart. That's all it means. It's God's will that we should be set apart for what? For his use and his use alone, that we should be set apart from the way we once were and walk in a new life, right? It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That's all it means. Big churchy word, to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says to be filled with the Spirit. Romans 8, the entire chapter, is all about living in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Acts 2, the whole the whole chapter of Acts. We went through the book of Acts not too long ago. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Everybody who was in the upper room was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in what? Power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Sounds like to me, Jesus wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells his own disciples, speaking in Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone, to everyone who knocks, the door is going to be opened to you. He goes further than that. He says, hey, if you who are earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, if, some, if your son or your daughter asks you for uh, bread, would you give them a snake instead? If they ask you for an egg, would you, would you give them a scorpion? If you know how, as earthly fathers, to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's good news, friends. That should give us this, this incredible confidence and power in our daily walk with Jesus, that we don't have to be controlled by our sinful nature anymore. Because why? Because our sinful nature is dead. 
It's been crucified with Christ, and we're alive in Christ now, filled with the Spirit, sharing in his power and authority, all done by the work of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You and I had nothing to do with it. He has given us the Holy Spirit. Guys, something crazy happened when Jesus was crucified. Something really crazy happened. Now, it, in Luke and I think in Mark, it records this, that there was this great, great earthquake when Jesus breathed his last. And, and before, before this, um, there was, in the temple, there was this veil. There's this heavy curtain, this very, very heavy curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies, which is where the Spirit of God dwelt, right? And the, we could only go in there, and I say we, it was the high priest, and the high priest only could go in there, and that only one time a year. And he had to go through all these ceremonial rituals before he did it. And, and you know what they would do? They would tie a rope, no kidding, on his ankle in case he didn't do everything right. And God struck him dead in the Holy of Holies so they could drag him out. It was a big deal to go into the Holy of Holies. Well, in this earthquake, when God breathed his last, it says in the Bible, in Mark and in Luke, that the veil was torn in two. What happened? We can go right in now. Ooh, that's good news. We can go right into the Holy of Holies. We come every week, we come, the praise team ushers us right into the presence of God. We don't need a mediator anymore. We don't need a high priest. We don't need anybody else. We can go right into the throne room and receive the grace in our time of need. You know what we don't talk about a lot? The second thing that happened there. Because that's great news. But listen, I gotta tell you some, some more great news here is that when that veil was torn in two, not only did it offer us access in, he came out. <laughs> the Holy Spirit came out, so he's no longer confined to this geographical place. He lives in you, and he lives in me. That, friends, gives us power each and every day of our lives. We can live in the power of, we can stand only being filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can stand, and that is the only way how we can stand. So here's the deal. This is not just, <laughs> this is not just the only way we're going to be able to stand if, if, if we're here when God's wrath is poured out like we've seen in Revelation 6 and 7 and 8 and, and we'll see next week in 9. And... This is about being able to stand now. Is it me or am I the only one who has a struggle sometimes standing now? Jesus wants to fill you now. It, it, if you are not living every day in the power of the Holy Spirit, why? Why would you live so far beneath where God wants you to live? where he has called you to live. See, the Holy Spirit provides the power to do in us what we cannot do on our own. I, I think of the attributes of God, those things that God calls us to be. You know, we need this, we need love, joy, peace, patience. You want peace in your life? You want joy in your life, you want kindness, you want victory, you want victory in your life every day, those are fruits of the Spirit. 
You and I can't get those on our own. Galatians 5 reminds us that those are fruits of the Spirit, that the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, these things. That's what gives us victory every day. Doesn't that sound like here and now? Honestly, I need the Spirit to stand now. Much less to be able to endure all the parts of the trumpets and the bowls and the wrath of God that's, that it's about to be poured out, that we're about to read about in the book of Revelation. Have you been filled with the Spirit? And if you've been filled with the Spirit, are you living like you're filled with the Spirit? Would you bow your heads with me? I want us to spend some time praying this, this morning. Listen, we have extra time. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, I want to give you time to ask. So James, the brother of Jesus, said, we don't have things from God because we don't ask for things from God. And the King James, it says, you have not because you ask not. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask Ask him. Now, here's the thing. I realize you can do this right where you are. I realize you can do this all by yourself right where you are, that you don't need anybody else to do this. But I would rather, listen, I would rather you do it in community. There will be people on my left and on my right. Listen, th there should be a line in front of every one of these people for us just asking God, please pray with me that I might be filled with the Spirit. There should be a line in front of every one of them. If you've been filled with the Spirit, but you're not living like you are, listen, it's okay. It's not a one-and-done thing. We leak. Dwight L. Moody said, we leak. And you know what? I need to be filled all the time. I ask for God for an infilling all the time. Ask Him to fill you again. Maybe you were doing so well, but you've kind of fallen off a little bit here. The other side is, maybe you've been filled with the Spirit. You, you've received the gift of the Spirit, but the Spirit doesn't have all of you. Well, that's a little different, right? We have the Spirit. We've been empowered. We've been enabled. But, but we haven't surrendered all of ourselves to the Spirit of God. Well, that's a posture that's different. That's a posture of surrender. To give Him full reign in your life so you can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, victory. Maybe there's somebody here who's like, man, Greg, truth is, I, I kind of just stumbled in here. I'm not even sure what you've been talking about this whole time. Dave is up here on my right. If you have any questions about anything I've said, come talk to Dave. He'll answer your questions. The last thing I want to tell you is that there's communion all around us. Wherever there's a table on a lamp, there's communion. If you have asked Jesus to fill you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ when you take communion today I want you to tell him how thankful you are that he's given you the power the presence of the Holy Spirit to walk and be thankful Father we just praise you and thank you because of who you are Jesus you're so good you're so kind you love us so much God Some of this was tough to take. 
this morning, but we are so thankful that you love us, that you are always in constant pursuit of us, pursuing a love relationship with us. Thank you for that, Jesus. Help us to be filled with the Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God love you guys. You're welcome to help yourselves.